0: So, um, we're starting our series again. We started last week, Promises of Christmas. And um, the point of the song, right, is joy to the world. The point of the drama was, when you look at Christmas today, it is celebrated around the world. I mean, Christmas is huge. It's celebrated in over 160 countries in the world right now. Now, I know the answer to your next question. Right, what's the next question? I'll tell you the answer. It's 195. What's the question? How many, How many countries are in the world? Exactly. You, you go, well, 160, that's fine, but if there's like five million countries, it's not very good. but out of 160 out of 195. Now, if you're engaged with Christmas and especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you might be saying to yourself right now, yeah, but Dad, they're not all celebrating Christmas, I mean not selling Christ? In Christmas, right? They're doing Happy Holidays. We're doing Reason for the Season. There's this big gap between. I mean, come on, Wall Street is what makes Christmas really go in our country, and and profit margins in other countries. And I'm going. to go, I think you're right. I mean, that's part of it for sure. That that Christmas has been diluted. And it, but I know that we all like to exchange gifts, and we probably all spend a little bit more money, and we get some food. We're we're in it with them. Some of us have you know images of Rudolph and Santa and. Those aren't in the Bible characters um, as a part of the day. And and so there's this tension, and it's really a tension between two groups. There are some people who go, come on, happy holidays, don't ruin it with Jesus. Just leave Christmas alone. We're having a good time here, right? Don't bring Jesus into it. And other people are going, without Jesus, you're missing the whole reason for the season. And so we kind of resent the other side. I'm gonna tell you how how I kind of look at it as we celebrate Christmas and some people are celebrating kind of without Jesus, or Jesus is sitting next to Elf on the Shelf, whatever, Um, I think it's an opportunity. Because I think the holiday, for those who are doing happy holidays, and and by the way, if you're one of those people, I'm so glad you're here, but for you, those people who do happy holidays, when you get to the end of the holidays, your expectations, at least mine have in the past, are so high that when you get to the end of it, it sort of leaves you empty. And you think to yourself, really, this is it? I mean, Christmas is so hyped up. It should be more than this. It should fill me up. It should last longer. And in that season of of what for some people a holiday, I think those of us who are following Christ have an opportunity to go, there is something that lasts longer. There is someone. This is so much more than just another holiday. That's why I say it's such a great time to invite people to church. Now, let me give you a quiz. I'm going to ask you about some Christmas miracles. I'm going to review the Christmas story a little bit with you. And I want you to think about, in your own mind, we're not even going to take a vote on it, but in your own mind, which of the miracles is the most significant to you? You might think it's uh, Mary being a virgin, being pregnant and giving birth and having the angels come and tell her that's exactly what's going to happen to her. That's miraculous. It's never happened before. I don't think it's going to happen again right? Or, especially guys, you might think, no, the miracle, the miracle is Joseph believing Mary. That's the miracle. And if it wasn't for, you know, he's sleeping and he has this dream and an angel speaks to him in a dream and says, hey, come on, trust Mary. She's telling you the truth about this pregnancy. She's never been with anybody else. And he wakes up and he says, okay, God, I'm in. I'm in just on, on, on that dream alone. Or some of us think, you know what it is? It's the census timing that brought Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem. Right, it's the exact right time to fulfill the scriptures, the prophecies that, set, that promise that the Messiah will be born in this little town, no-name town of Bethlehem, six miles outside of Jerusalem. And others would think, well, you know, it was that, that at least for the shepherds, it was probably the angels that visited them. right? That they would go to shepherds who were, um, we, we call it lowly estate, but they were just not valued in the culture. Right? A shepherd couldn't give testimony as a witness in a court of law. Because you couldn't, everybody knows this, you can't trust a shepherd, right? And so, so the miracle was the angels came to them and said, God goes, you're going to be my first witnesses to this Jesus thing that I'm doing, to the coming of the Messiah. And there's a few of us that go, no, it happened actually a couple years later. The fact that these three wise men on three, that's not a biblical number, that makes a great song, right? they were wise men who came from the east, probably Persia, because the Persians, you remember the Israelites were held in captivity in Persia. There was probably a Jewish influence. The Persians, these astrologers, are looking at the sky, astronomers, and they're looking at the sky, and they see this new star, and for them it meant the birth of a king. And they said, well, let's go to Jerusalem, the capital city. And they leave the east they come to jerusalem and they start to inquire about this is the capital this is where the king should live and they ask herod about it herod goes well i'm not sure about this coming king where he's supposed to be born and his his advisors say well it's supposed to be in bethlehem so he tells the uh the the three wise men again three with quotation marks where they're to be born in bethlehem so they go To Bethlehem to look for the child. Sometimes we have this image of a special beam of light from a star shining on Bethlehem. That's not exactly how it happened. They were instructed to go there, and so we think, how cool is that? That that and they came with these incredibly expensive gifts. And for some of us, the biggest miracle is that the little drummer boy found his way to Bethlehem. (laughs) And it is so awesome how God led him. And um, okay, if that doesn't reek of just humor to you, move on. All right, so. So the, the, um, those are... By the way, didn't I just kind of tell you what we typically talk about at Christmas? That's the whole story. And you know it because the up-close story. It's the, it's the right-there-that-night story of the birth of Christ. It's the Christmas miracles. Each part of it was fairly miraculous. But I'm going to tell you what I think might be at least equal to those. And maybe you won't think so when you hear it. I think one of the greatest Christmas miracles is the fact that you are here now celebrating it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal that we celebrate Christmas. It's amazing. It is just amazing that all over the world, people are celebrating Christmas. It's amazing that you, most of the American citizens, are in this room right now, honoring and worshiping God together because of Christ. You want to know why it's amazing? It's because we're Romans. It's because... I know what you're thinking. I am not a Roman. I'm Italian. Think about that one for a moment. Okay, you with me? Oh, you just sunk in. Good job. All right. I'm German. I'm English. I'm Scottish. I'm American. I'm Canadian. I'm sorry. And... I just keep throwing my family under the bus. Um... But we claim some other heritage. But I'm telling you, and I'm going to make a point of what I mean by it, we are Romans. And I'm not the first person to say this. America is Rome. It's the Roman Empire. So the name of this message today is we have Christmas promises and that Christmas is for Romans like us. Now, why would I say we're Romans? Well, first of all, the Romans had an empire. Do you not know that we are an empire? We don't like to talk about ourselves that way. We, but when you look back at our history, we we took land, we bought land, we acquired land. We had people coming to us to say they want to be a part of us. But the United States of America is an empire of states. Thank you. All right. And so we're all together. We're we're just in fact, if you took the entire Roman Empire at its peak and just took the land and put it over the United States, you would find that we don't even need Alaska or Hawaii to cover it. We're bigger than they were, more land than they were, more people than they were, right? So we were an empire. We are also an empire because we have a strong military. In fact, we like to say we have the strongest military in the world. I promise you the Romans did. Why were they so strong? They were well-equipped, they were well-trained, and they were fully devoted. The very things that we want for our military, they had nobody messed with the Romans because you'd lose. They were the cutting edge of technology, training, and commitment in their military thirdly the romans were innovative and industrious isn't that one of the descriptions we like about us aren't we the creative ones right in the world don't we think well american ingenuity that's a phrase why because romans like to hear it we're ingenuity we're creative we create things we design things and we're industrious we keep building roads and bridges and everything that rome did let me give you an understanding of how influential Rome was. There was a movie that came out by Monty Python, believe it or not, and it was called The Life of Brian. I've never actually seen the movie, but I found this quote from the movie, and it talks about, you know, how the Brits, because remember Great Britain was part of the Roman Empire, um, how th- what they benefited from, from the Romans. So here's what the quote goes to. It goes, apart from better sanitation and medicine and irrigation and public health and roads and fresh water systems and baths and public order what have the Romans done for us? <laughs> and the answer is everything. Right? And the same way we can say about the United States, what have, what has our, what has the United States done for us? I mean, so when you hear this message, by the way, don't think, well, Doug's not a patriot. He really is a Canadian. Don't think that. Think, instead think, I'm celebrating it. I'm, I'm glad for the United States. I'm a patriot. Right? But, but I don't want to be in denial of who we are, and, and it's not, it's not bad. We're just an empire. I'm going to show you some... If you've, got, if you've got a pen, write this down. Write down Sergio and Rhoda in Israel. Sergio and Rhoda are a young couple that... Um, one of them is from Israel. The other one is from another um, European state, okay, or Middle East. And they travel around in Israel, and they shoot video. And they got a drone, so some of it's pretty cool. And they stopped in at a Roman city. There was a a group of cities, 10 cities called the Decapolis, right? These were built by Rome. And um, you're going to see one of them in a minute because there's ruins left over. So this is actually the site that uh, those of you who will go to Israel with me next time, like uh, 11 months from now, in fact, 11 months almost to the day, we will be on this very site, okay? And I'm going to let you watch the video and I'm, you're gonna hear him talk a little bit about what the Decapolis was and what this particular city was. It's called Bet Shean. And uh, okay, no further ado, watch this.
1: This city is the biggest of the Decapolis, the 10 cities that the Romans built to showcase their luxurious life, their Roman luxurious life. So here's what they did, right? So they said, come to these cities, the 10 cities, Beit being the largest, Decapolis. They're saying, look at our life. We've got everything here. Take example from us. We are the modern civilization. We are the edge of technology, the edge of architecture, the edge of entertainment. And truly they were, but not for long. In the first century BC, The Romans built ten cities in the Middle East region and called them the Decapolis. Today the remains of only two of them are within the borders of Israel. Scythopolis was the greatest of the ten cities. And due to the great earthquake that destroyed it, it laid in ruins untouched until it was excavated. In the 8th century AD, there was a huge earthquake here that leveled the whole city. This is an incredible preservation of the Roman bathhouse. Absolutely spectacular. Look at this. So, this is how it worked. Outside of the bathhouse, they would have those chimneys where they would burn the wood, and hot air would blow through under the floor, in between those little pillars, and that hot air would heat up the water that would be above the floor of those pillars. So today we just see the pillars, there's no floor, but you can imagine a layer of floor here that would be really hot and heat up the water. That's your bathhouse. What a technology. Wow. What? You better sing harder. You know what we should do? One of us will go up there with a camera. One of us will stay here and we'll speak or sing really loud. And we'll see if you can hear it up there. Because they say they're building in such a way, I can like hear my echo, that you can hear the voice travel everywhere, right? Right. Okay, you want to sing? No way. All right. I'll go up there then. we got people coming to see the show. Welcome to the empty yeah. Dress! Bravo! Yeah, oh, we got one! Yeah! Yes! yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had one bravo, <laughs> one bravo.
0: Did I tell you they're goofballs? A little bit they are. Um, So that was the amphitheater. And That was the bathhouse. Not only did they have a hot bathhouse, you you just saw, they had a cold room, and they had a room that was average temperature kind of thing. The 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 different warriors would go in there, and they would be heated up, and they would the the guys who were really built, you know, the fighters, they would scrape their bodies, and they would collect the dead cells, and people would buy their dead cells. To, as a way of them gaining strength for themselves, it grosses me right out. But it was uh, it was so cool to 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 be there and to, to see the technology. That amphitheater held six thousand people. Right, and there's a very good chance that I mean it, w- it existed when Jesus was alive. So there's a very good chance Jesus walked those those very streets. But you need to understand when we think of Romans, this is the kind of stuff they were building. They built aqueducts and roads They're so famous for their long roads and they were in, built with layers of foundation and slanted for water runoff. It was cutting. They still exist and people still use some of those roads today. Think about that. 2,000 years ago. Now, my other word for, for Romans, and I think it's like us, is they were civilized hedonists. What does that mean? It means that they were civilized, but they were directed towards self-pleasure. Right, that's that was their point of the Decapolis. Come here and look what a pleasant life you can live. Look how you can please, we have entertainment, we have the theater, we have we have the athletic club with the hot rooms. Right, every time, by the way, when I go to the athletic club, I'm always feeling a little more Roman-like. Right, because they got the steam room and the baths, and it's just like that. And so my whole point of this is we are Roman, and we when we were there at that site, the teacher turned to us and he goes. So of all the places we've been, because we've been to a lot of ancient sites, he goes, how do you feel about this place? And we're all like, we love this place. And he goes, that's because you're Romans. He goes, that's our culture. You don't go to the theater necessarily, but you have the biggest screen TV in the world in your house with all the perfect sound and you can't wait to get the next gadget. And me too. I already ordered mine for Christmas. It's awesome. All right, so we're Romans. Now, here's the miracle, right? Right? 6,250 miles, one ocean, two seas, and 2,024 years after this birth in Bethlehem, we sit here. That's how far we are away from Bethlehem. That's what we have to cross over to get there, and that's how many years ago it was. And here we are celebrating Christmas, this birth of Jesus in an obscure little town, on an obscure night. And we is that not miraculous? It's amazing. Now, we're in the series, Promises of a Christmas. What I want to do with today's message the rest of my time, and your time, by the way, is take, we, we looked at a micro close look with all those miracles. I want to back the cam- cameras up and I want to take a more global look, a, a, a time frame. I want to look at the trail to Christmas and the trail from Christmas to where we are today. So, This may surprise you. I'm going to connect things that you don't associate with Christmas. Because I think Christmas started with one guy. 2,000 years before Jesus was even born. That one guy's name was Abraham. It really wasn't Abraham. It was really Abram. Remember, God changed it to Abraham later on. And in 2100 BC, that's kind of his time frame right in there. He lived far away from Canaan, the promised land, or where Israel is today. He lived in a place called Ur, And it's where Iraq is today. So it's the red dot farthest to the right. He lived there with his dad, Terah, and his brothers. And at some point, they got the urge to move, so they moved to Haran. And from Haran, God called Abraham specifically and brought him to Hebron, which is in Canaan. And he said, this land is going to be yours. Now I'm going to read to you the passage from Genesis 12, 1 through 3, because it is a Christmas passage, but nobody knew it. Here's what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, "Leave your own native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you." Right? They're in Haran at this time. They've already left Ur. But I now I'm calling you, Abram. I will make you into a great nation. You're one guy, but I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be, you plural, you the nation, will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, he didn't know it. And we can only look at going backwards. That blessing for all the families, fam- not the Jewish families, not the ones who say, hey, I'm related directly to Abram. All the families on earth are going to be blessed. I think that's a Christmas passage. Let me fast forward the clock a little bit to Joshua chapter 24. So, this is the last chapter of Joshua. Joshua is the one who led the the tribes, all the Israelites, out of Egypt um, with Moses. And then he got to lead them into the promised land and fought battle after battle after battle. And once they're there, the 12 tribes kind of had their land. He's about to die, so he makes a speech. What he does, he gathers everybody together. Here's kind of how it reads. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Shechem is sort of in the the middle north of Israel. Okay? And brought them to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. I think what that really means, especially their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. He wanted those change influencers guys to be there. So they came and they presented themselves to God. In other words, they, they purified themselves. They got ready for this message and what we're doing here today. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. This is what your God says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, who is the father of Abram, and, and not only Abram, but Nahor, his brother, lived beyond the Euphrates River in Ur. And they worshipped other gods. That's right, a key phrase. They worshipped other... They didn't know the God that we know. They didn't know that God was one. They worshipped other God, plural. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. Right. So he's reminding them, do you know who you are? Do you know our mission? I'm about to leave you. I just want to put this in front of you again. Remember, this is what God did. I gave him many descendants. That's us. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. So the question is, why Abram? Why was Abram chosen? He's he's minding his own business. He's worshiping other gods, according to the text. And God goes, I'm choosing one guy. I'm choosing Abram. Out of all the Middle East, I'm choosing this one guy. Israel doesn't exist yet. There's no Israelites. There's no chosen people. There's only one chosen person, Abram. So why did Abram get chosen? And the Christian answer, and I think it's an okay answer, is because God wanted to. God's God; He can do what He wants. He can pick you. He can pick him. He can pick him. It's just a miraculous story. Awesome. He chose him, and and that's that's fine. I think it's even true, right? But that's not how the Jewish people explain it. The Jewish people have this this book called the Midrash, right? And my wife said, make sure you scratch yourself here because I'll never forget it if you just scratch the middle of your the Midrash. All right. That's a mom joke, okay? So not a dad joke. All right. So the Midrash has stories into it. You have to really listen to me very carefully now. When we read the Bible, we go, "Those things are all true." When we start reading outside literature, we go, "Well, that's very interesting." And I'm going to tell you two stories from the Midrash. I'm not telling you they're true. I'm telling you I hope they're true. They sound good. The Jewish people believe they're true. Okay. The first story is this. So in Ur, Terah, Abraham's father, owned a, a shop that sold idols. And it was a place where you could buy an idol to worship one of those false gods, and it was a place where you could make sacrifices to idols. And one day, Terah went out and away, and Abram, young Abram, was in charge. And a man comes into the store, and he says, I'd like to buy that idol. And Abram looks at him, and he goes, well, can I ask you a question, sir? And he goes, yeah, sure. How old are you? I'm 50 years old. So you, sir, you're 50 years old, and you want to buy... An idol that I, <laughs> that I made yesterday? That I, a kid, made yesterday? And you want to buy that idol to worship it? And the man left, the Midrash says, with a sense of shame. And he didn't buy the idol. And then a woman comes in through the store, and Abram's still in charge, and she says, I want to make a sacrifice. So she leaves down a sacrifice with just some food for the idols to eat. Right? So she lays out her food and she leaves. When she leaves, Abram takes a stick and he breaks all the idols except for one. And he put the stick at the feet of that idol. And when his dad came home, Tara comes home and he goes, What's going on? The store is trashed out. All the idols are screwed up. They're messed up. They're broken. (coughs) And Abram looks at him and he goes, Well, Dad, this woman came in and she made a sacrifice. She left all this food. And then the idols start to argue about who gets to eat first. And then that idol that has the stick, he, he broke all the other idols. And he's got all the food to himself. And his dad looks at him and goes, Abram, that's ridiculous. Idols can't move, can't think, can't. They're made of wood and stone. And he goes, exactly, Dad. Exactly. And so from a Jewish perspective, they go, Abram was the first one to say one God. No idols. One God, no idols. Now, is it true I don't know, but I sure hope it's true. It should be true. It's a great story, couple stories, right? But that's how the Jewish the commentaries kind of explain it. So so Abram believed in one God. If that's true, that would provide some reason for God to say, I choose you. I choose and regardless if it's true or not, Abram was chosen by God. And it was one guy, and as as Joshua was explaining this to all the people gathered together at Shechem. He said, and look at you now. You you are Abraham's children. And then he turned to them and said, so today I'm going to ask you before I die, I'm going to be gone soon. Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to devote your life to? And they all said, Abraham's God, the God of Abraham. Right? The God of Abraham. And that's, he's looked as the first person. To move from this pluralistic view of God to one God. And they chose it. And then <laughs> this is amazing. Remember where they've been, the journey they've been on, this trusting God journey. Then Joshua turns to them, okay, now destroy all your idols. How many idols should they have? None. And yet he has to tell them to destroy their idols before he, he dies and redevote themselves to God. So, okay, so from Ab- Abraham 21, we move to the twelve tribes, right? Who and they leave Egypt. So that takes place. They go into the Promised Land around the, um, 1555 BCE, before the Common Era. So that we how we tell time. So you get to zero. We're we're Common Era. Before that is before Common Era. So the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes were in Egypt. They move out together. They are 12 distinct tribes. They entered the Promised Land and they take land by tribes. The very tribes should say their tribal right? So, so partway through living, it was rough going as a tribe because you have all these individual leaders. Read the book of Judges sometimes, and they're, they're having struggles being unified. It'd be like us not having the federal government, which to some of you sounds like a great idea. And um, every state kind of managing itself, right? But the 12 tribes. So they go, we don't want this. We need a federal government. They didn't want a federal government. What did they want? They wanted a king. So when they got a king, they became a nation in their minds, Right? And that was around 1064 BCE. And the first king's name was Saul. The second one was, was David, who you might be more familiar with. And then we move forward in time, and this nation is just kicked around. We've been talking about this for this whole fall. The Assyrians went in and, and, and took over and did damage. and the Babylonians after them, and then the Persians took over after they defeat the, so all these different empires, are going on. And then the Greeks come in, and by the way, Greeks are incredibly influential. It's a really big deal. And then finally, the Romans, about 100 years before Jesus is born, defeat the Greeks. And the, Gre- the Romans and the Greeks, we sometimes will say Greco Roman because the Greeks had such an influence on the Romans. So that's why their architecture looks the same. Their school of thought is the same. The pleasuring of themselves is kind of the same, right? So this is the nation, but it is a kicked around nation without identity. And when Jesus is born, it has no identity, it is just under the Roman Empire and kind of lost, and the Romans are civilized, so they allow people to worship their own gods as long as you don't get rebellious and as long as you don't tick off the Roman gods, we're fine. Just be under, you know, a little bit a, a little bit less than obvious about it kind of thing and don't cause problems. And that's the world that Jesus is born into around 6 BCE. I know we're used to thinking zero, the year of our Lord, but it's, it's probably four to six years before that zero year. So, that's the trail to Christmas. This is the trail. Because Jesus, from a Christian perspective, what I think is true, Jesus is the blessing that was promised to Abraham. Through the chosen people, the Messiah is born. And the whole world is going to worship. The whole world is going to celebrate that night. And, and we do. So the point of Christmas is, it's not a holiday. So when I say Christmas, I'm not just talking about Christmas. I'm talking about Jesus When I say Christmas today, I'm talking about his birth, his death on the cross, his resurrection. It is what Jesus came to do that is the blessing. It is not his birth. All of us were born, but it's what he did with his life and what he came for and who he was and how he died. And he opened up forgiveness for us with God to have this relationship with God. Now, remember I said it was a miracle for us to be here together? I lied. It's not a miracle. It's God's plan. It's God, this, is, this is what God said he was going to do. It's why we're here. We just don't know it's why we're here. It's why we're here because of what God said to Abram and what he's doing in the world and what he's going to do in the world. This is the Christmas trail and it's going to continue, you know, past Jesus and moving forward. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but what he said to Abraham, "'I will bless those who bless you, "'curse those who treat you with contempt.'" All the families on earth will be, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And I started to wonder, you know, that's a that's a passage that's not only near and dear to us as in churches, but it's near and dear to, to Israelites, to, to people who are practicing Judaism, not just born in the country, but, but the religious Orthodox Jews. And I started to wonder, how do they interpret that? Like, So what is the blessing for the whole world? And I found an article where a Jewish person wrote out what the blessings are, and here's what he said. Here are the blessings from Israel. This passage from Abraham has been fulfilled. We, Israel, contribute like no other to the high technology of the world, and we spread it out. We, Israel, have scientific and medical innovations that have saved lives around the world. We, Israel, per capita, we produce more Nobel Nobel laureates than any other country for the country our size we provide humanitarian relief and they do we israel we are a haven for african refugees syrians and even you got to hear the tone of voice and even palestinians threatened or injured by their own leadership okay if you understand the conflict there you'll that'll kind of resonate with you just a little bit right and israel provides renowned agricultural advances to developing countries can i just tell you something all those things are true about israel Israel is an amazing country for its size. It is a smart country. It is an advanced cu- culture. It is a scientific community. They've done amazing things. If you get the chance to go there, oh, you do have the chance. <laughs> you need to go. Right? And, and, and you will see for yourself. You, you'll experience, it's, it's not uncomfortable. This is not a third world nation. This is a sharp providing for the world nation. But I'm telling you, they're missing the blessing that they were to be. Because it wasn't about them being anything. This blessing was from God through Israel, not because of Israel. All the things they listed off were things they did, right, and are doing. But this blessing is not from them. It is through them, and it is God. And this is the birth of Christ that God promised. Now, let me fast forward the clock. Jesus has died, and he's resurrected. And he's talking to the disciples. And it's Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And here's what the converse, how the conversation went. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? So what are they thinking? They're thinking, is it time for you to defeat the Romans and restore our nation? And you are the king because we are a beat up group of people. Currently, we're suffering with all these Romans. Have you ever seen such a bunch of Romans? Right? And and Jesus looks at me and he goes, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. You know what that means? It's above your pay grade and I'm not telling you. And it's not even the plan. He didn't tell them that because but they were all in for because they weren't understanding this is not a physical thing, that's a spiritual thing. This is what God is doing in the hearts of men. That's where the kingdom of God reigns, not on geography. Instead, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, right here, throughout Judea, the, the area, in Samaria, the people you don't even like and to the ends of the earth. You know what the ends of the earth is if you're under Roman rule? It's Rome. It's Rome, because from Rome, everything happens. Right? It's kind of their known world. So the trail of Christmas goes to one guy again. It's Jesus. And then he takes it to 12 guys. It's not accidental. 12 guys. And then Paul becomes a Christian. God chooses Paul on a road to He's so zealous for God that he's killing Christians because he doesn't know it's true. He just thinks it's heresy. So he's killing and and trying to put an end to Christianity and God used Paul to bring the gospel of Jesus to Rome, which is another Christmas miracle, right? Because now the Romans are going to celebrate Christmas. Why did Paul so desperately want to get to Rome? He was making his way there all the way through when you read about his travels. Well, why? It's because all roads really do lead to Rome. And all the roads lead away from Rome as well. Same roads. They go both directions. I keep trying to convince my relatives in the Twin Cities that they can come here to visit us. We don't always have to be the ones to go visit them. Okay, that's personal. All right, so here's the thing. <laughs> the Roman Empire, look how huge it is. Look... Those roads, the ro- they built all those roads. You can still travel some of them today. Do you understand that's 2,000 years ago? These roads are still there. They were so well built. And the reason they were built was for, for transporting goods, of course, but also for communication because runners could run. It's kind of like the Pony Express. They could run, tell another runner, and messages. They had the best communication system. This is before the Internet. This is their Internet. It's how they. they it's part of how they, they had their infrastructure to be the empire that they were. right? And why did Christianity spread? And why did Christmas spread? Well, part of it was because eventually, while the Romans were anti-Christian for a long time, eventually they turned over and Constantine made it the religion of the Romans. Think about that. He chose one God. right? And he didn't outlaw all the other gods, but he chose one God to be the state religion <laughs> that says all the other religions are wrong and false. Right? And then Christmas, he made it a celebration, 336 Common Era. So thank you, Constantine, for that. And he made it around December 21st. Why would he do that? Well, there was another holiday called Sol Invictus, which means the sun is the victor. Right? Because right now we know what the sun is losing, right? We're losing a little bit of sun every day. So the sun is losing, but around the 21st, suddenly the sun is the victor and it starts gaining strength. And I just wish it would not stop gaining strength because I know what's going to happen on June 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and we get to here again. right? So that's the, the cycle. So that's, that's why Christmas came where it is. And yes, it was a pagan holiday that, that Christians used, but it was very effective back to ride to spread Christmas. And when Christmas spreads, even if it's just a holiday, it spreads a Christian message because it's an opportunity. Christmas grew because Christianity spread. Christianity spread because, because it's true, and that doesn't mean false things don't grow because they do. But if something's true and God has His hand on it, it will grow, and it has grown. One of the best results of christianity that's going to surprise you—is that <clears throat> did it rub you wrong that I said you were Romans? Let me relieve that because the best part is we're not really Romans anymore. We're not really. Romans. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Now, don't think city, think province of Rome. Galatia is an area with lots of different cities and towns and churches. And here's what he wrote them. He said, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There were Jews, there were Romans, there were other Gentiles, right? Anybody who's not a a Jew is a Gentile, including the Romans. So all those people were there. But he says to them, you're all children uh, of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. It's like putting on new clothes. What he really means is it's like putting on a new uniform, a new identity. You used to be, but now you're this. You used to think of yourself as, but now you're this. You are a child of God, and there's no longer Jew or Gentile. Right? Gentiles would include. He could have said Roman. Right? There's no more Romans. There's no more Jews. There's no more slave or free. There's no more male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. So if you think of yourself as an American first, and you're a follower of Christ, you need to change the order. You're a follower of Christ first. You're an American second. I'm not anti-American. That's great. But I follow Christ first. All right? For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ... You are the true children, and he takes it all the way back to Abraham. Whether you're Jewish or not, you're a son and child of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. I'll be with you. I'm going to do great things through you. I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. Because of Christmas, remember, Christmas We're God's kids. Because of Christmas, we are included. Now, you remember the, that the angel—what the angel announced to the Jewish shepherds, what he told them when he, those Bethlehem shepherds were on the hill—what he told them, he said, "Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people." It's it's tying into Abraham. The promise of every family on the planet to all people. The Savior, and here it is. Here's the good news. Here's the blessing. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And my question for you is, why did the angels come to the shepherds? It's kind of similar to why did God choose Abram? Why did Why did the angels come to the shepherds? Because God can do what he wants and pick who he wants, Right? I think so, but I think there's a message in it. I think the message is this shepherds count to God. They may not count in that culture, but every shepherd counts to God. Why did Jesus choose fishermen and tax collectors to be his disciples? It's the same answer. Fishermen count to God, tax collectors count to God. People who didn't count in that culture. Count to God. Why did Jesus speak to the to, to women and when other religious leaders wouldn't? And why did he speak to a Samaritan woman? And the answer is the same. Women count to God. Samaritans count to God. Why did Jesus instruct the disciples to let the children come to him all together? Absolutely. Children count to God, but they didn't not in that culture. It was wait till you're older, wait till you're older. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Let the kids come to me. You know, why? Because they count to me. Why did Jesus come in the flesh to this world? And the answer is the world counts to God. Why did Jesus interact with the enemy of the Jews, a Roman centurion like us? Centurion was in charge of like a hundred people, hundred soldiers, right? And the answer is because Romans count to God, even Romans like us. Let's pray. God, the The history lesson is great, but it does come down to one thing, and that is, do I count to you? Do we count to you? And I know there's some of us in this room that have a great sense of your love and your presence and your leadership in our lives. It's changed Christmas and it's changed our lives. It's no longer just a holiday. It's a worship event. It's a remembering that we count to you event. But God, there are so many of us that when we go to bed and we put our heads on the pillow, we wonder if we, if we matter at all. We wonder because we're not sure with all the bad things happening in our lives. We're, we're not sure because of all the things that happened when we were kids in our lives, the kind of parents we had, the kind of family we had, the financial struggles that we're experiencing now, the, the rebelling and running away kids that we are raising, our health. Our troubles, God, make us wonder if you're paying attention. The troubles of this world make us wonder if we matter to you. And maybe the most wonderful thing about Christmas, it is you saying that you love the world so much that you sent Jesus. And we matter to you. God, I pray this Christmas we would all have a sense in the depth of our hearts of your love and your presence. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, thanks for coming. See you next week.